Okay. Show me. Sometimes that is what I... Welcome to the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast. Be sure you never, ever scream. A podcast where we will explore the dark corners of our world, the weird, the creepy, and the strange. There are no accidents, no coincidences. I am your host, Eric Carrier. The boogeyman is real. And they must be coming at night. My co-host is Jessica Carrier. Thank you for joining us for a journey into the unknown. Be one of us. Let's get started with today's show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This is the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast and I am your host, Eric Carrier. I am here as always with my wife and my co-host, Jessica. Jessica, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Good. What do we have in store for our listeners today? Today, we are going south of the border and delving into some Latin American folklore. We're going to be discussing La Llorona and El Chupacabra, which are staples, but we'll also discuss some you may have never heard of before. If you are a new listener and you are here for the first time, welcome. If you've been around for a while, welcome back. We know that there are a lot of podcasts out there that are competing for your time, and we are grateful that you are giving that time to us. Jess, how can people help support our podcast? If you would like to support our podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. One, please share or keep sharing the show. Two, please keep voting for us in the Paranormal Top 25 and as the best new podcast of the year. Both contests are sponsored by Paranormality Magazine, and you can vote for us at paranormalitymag.com. Three, check out our merch store. Four, consider leaving a tip. And five, come hang out with us on social media. We have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and love to hang out and meet you guys there. All of those accounts and our merch store can be accessed through our website at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. Jess, is there anything else? Nope. Okay, let's get started with today's show. When it comes to legend and folklore, Latin America is chocked full of terrifying tales. Tales of vengeful spirits, boogeymen, curses, and cryptids abound, and are often passed down to Latino children by their own mothers, who use them to help keep their children in line and to scare them into good behavior. Here are five terrifying Latin American tales of folklore. Let's start with La Llorona. The legend of La Llorona, or the weeping woman, has been a part of Latino and Southwest culture for a very long time. The earliest depictions of the story may even go back as far as the conquistadors. The tall, thin spirit is said to be blessed with unnatural beauty and long, flowing black hair. Wearing a white gown, she roams the rivers and creeks, wailing into the night and searching for children to drag, screaming into a watery grave. Though the tales vary from source to source, the one common thread is that she is a spirit of a vengeful woman 
who drowned her children and now spends eternity searching for them in rivers and lakes. Given La Llorona's popularity in Latin culture, there are at least three accepted variations of the legend and the origin story behind it. According to origin story number one, Maria was born to a peasant family in a humble village. Her startling beauty captured the attention of both the rich and the poor men in the area. She was said to have spent her days in her humble peasant surroundings, but in the evenings she would don her best white gown and thrill the men who admired her in the local fandangos. The young men anxiously awaited for her arrival, and she reveled in the attention that she received. However, Maria had two small sons who made it difficult for her to spend her evenings out, and often she left them alone while she cavorted with the gentlemen during the evenings. One day, the two small boys were found drowned in the river. Some say they drowned through her neglect, but others say that they may have died by her own hand. Another legend says that La Llorona was a caring woman, full of life and love, who married a wealthy rancher who lavished her with gifts and attention. However, after she bore him two sons, he began to change, returning to a life of womanizing and alcohol, often leaving her for months at a time. He seemingly no longer cared for the beautiful Maria, even talking about leaving her to marry a woman of his own wealthy class. When he did return home, it was only to visit his children, and the devastated Maria began to feel resentment towards the boys. One evening, as Maria was strolling with her two children on a shady pathway near the river, her husband came by in a carriage with an elegant lady beside him. He stopped and spoke to his children, but ignored Maria, and then drove the carriage down the road without looking back. Maria went into a terrible fit of rage, and turning against her children, she seized them and threw them into the river. As they disappeared downstream, she realized what she had done, and ran down the bank to save them, but it was too late. Maria broke down into inconsolable grief running down the street screaming and wailing. An entirely different origin story coincides with the legend of La Lamenche and the arrival of the Spanish in America back in the 16th century. According to this version of the tale, La Llorona was actually La Lamenche, a native woman who served as an interpreter, guide, and mistress to Hernan Cortes during the Spanish conquest of Mexico. The conquistador left her after she gave birth, and instead married a Spanish woman. Despised now by her own people, it is said that La Lamenche murdered her and Cortez's child in vengeance. While La Lamenche was a real person, and in fact did exist, there is no evidence or records of her killing her children or being exiled by her people. Records actually suggest that she remarried after Cortez went back to Spain and had another daughter with her new husband. Regardless of the origin story, the outcome is the same. The beautiful Maria mourned her children day and night, refused to eat, and walked along the river in her white gown searching for them. She wept endlessly as she roamed the riverbanks in her now soiled gown. Eventually, Maria dies on the bank of the river, either out of grief 
or by suicide. Not long after her death, reports of her relentless spirit began to appear. Walking the banks of the Santa Fe River when darkness fell, her weeping and wailing became a curse of the night, and people began to become afraid to go out after dark. And on many a dark night, people would see her walking along the riverbank crying for her children. So from then on, they no longer spoke of her as Maria, but rather as La Llorona, the weeping woman. Though the legends vary, the apparition is said to act without hesitation or mercy. The tales of her cruelty depend on the version of the legend you hear. Some say that she kills indiscriminately, taking the lives of men, women, and children. Others say that she only kills children, dragging them screaming to a watery grave. Children are warned not to go out in the dark, for La Llorona might snatch them, throwing them to their deaths in the water. La Llorona is said to follow Hispanic people wherever they may go, so it is not surprising that her wanderings have grown wider and wider throughout time. Sightings of her have been reported throughout all of the Southwest and as far north as Yellowstone River in Montana. Here are a couple of La Llorona encounters to ponder. So this is one of many stories my mother passed down to my siblings and I when we were very young. I'm gonna say I was about nine or 10 years old and they took place in Central America, El Salvador to be precise. One day, my grandma was supposed to meet up with a friend to go to another friend's wake. Back then, people would stay all night mourning at the wake with the deceased. My grandma was waiting with her friends where they had agreed to meet, which happened to be near a little river or creek. She sees this woman from far away, dressed in all white, that my grandma says looks just like her friend. Her name was Mary. So she starts following this woman, calling out for her, thinking it's her friend. She followed her by the river and then kept calling out for her, but no answer. It starts getting creepy when my grandmother started catching up with her. As she was getting closer to her, she started to feel what she describes as her shoulders and her head felt big and heavy and she couldn't move anymore. When she got close enough to see this woman's face, she noticed that her face was covered by a veil. And under the veil, she said the woman's face was a skull. My grandma somehow came out of her shock and ran as fast as she could. She said she felt as if she was running slow and wasn't getting away fast enough. These stories always gave me the chills, but have always been fascinating. She states it was La Llorona, or the Weeping Woman. One night, I fell asleep watching Jay Leno as usual, and when I woke up, I was on the sofa in my living room. The time was 4 a.m., which was illuminated from the stove in the kitchen. The television was off, and normally I had a light on, but this time it was pitch black. I woke up, and I heard a horrible screaming that was coming from far in the distance. The screaming was coming from a ditch that was just a few feet away from my home. 
I heard it, but I thought I was just hearing things. I asked myself, am I dreaming? Then I started to hear the animals outside howling and whimpering. As the screaming got closer, the animals continued to cry. The screaming was something I have never experienced ever before. It sounded like I was in a big hallway and a woman was screaming her guts out down the hall. Then, in all the screaming, I started to make out words. The words being said by whoever this was at 4 a.m. screaming their guts out shocked me. The woman said, Oh, mi hijos, or oh, my children. In a huge panic, I got up off the sofa and ran to the kitchen, which was right next to where I was sleeping. I turned the closet light on and looked around. The screaming didn't stop. In fact, the screaming only got louder and closer. I questioned my sanity at that moment. Was I going crazy or hearing things? Then I thought to myself, this is real and the animals are responding to it in a negative way. So I did what any other 11-year-old boy would do in a moment like this. I ran to my mom and dad's room. <laughs> I reached for my mom and shook her awake wildly. She woke up slowly, and to my amazement, the screaming faded away as she awoke. I thought to myself, what the heck is going on? I asked my mother, Mom, did you hear that scream and crying lady? My mom was half asleep as she said, Go back to sleep. It's most likely just your imagination. I told her, No, this is real. Please listen. Don't you hear her? My mom quickly just said, You're dreaming. Go back to sleep. It's going to be okay. By then, the screaming had faded away, as if whoever was screaming knew that an adult was awake. I was terrified as I returned to the living room, quickly turning on the television as well as most of the lights. I didn't go back to sleep until the sun came up. I couldn't believe what I had heard and witnessed. I was treated like a crazy person whenever I told my story. It got so bad that I just kept my experience to myself. To this day, I don't care what people think of my experience. I know what I heard, and a couple years later, it happened again. My grandmother said that when we were children, they lived near water. My aunt was only an infant. My great-grandmother had laid my aunt in her crib, which happened to be near a window that faced the water. After a little while, my aunt began to cry. My great-grandmother walked into the nursery and froze. A black figure was reaching through the window and reaching for my aunt. My great-grandmother, being a devout Catholic, began invoking the name of Christ. The figure recoiled from my aunt and out of the window. My great-grandmother watched the entity walk along the wall and recede into the water. La Llorona had tried to take my aunt. The Latin American people believe that the weeping woman will always be with them, following them wherever they go and lurking the many rivers of North and South America looking for her children. And for this reason, many of them fear the dark and continue to pass the legend from generation to generation. Another Latin American legend is a cryptid called El Chupacabra. What is El Chupacabra? Well, the reports are varied depending on the region and sighting, but the name literally means to suck goat. 
As appetizing as this sounds, the monster supposedly lives in parts of Puerto Rico and Mexico and has even been reported in the United States. Those terrorized by this beast claim it commonly drinks the blood of livestock. So what does El Chupacabra look like? There are many descriptions for the fiend, ranging from dog-like, bear-like, kangaroo-like, or even lizard-like with bat wings. Some people say it's the size of a small bear, and others claim it's more the size of a small wolf with no hair. Whatever this creature looks like, it has brought fear and destruction in its wake. The first reported sightings of El Chupacabra were in Puerto Rico in 1995. The creature was reported in various villages and was seen attacking livestock and pets. Researchers pronounced the accounts unreliable as the description of the creature strongly resembled a monster from the science fiction movie Species. Unfortunately, the attacks didn't stop despite the weird appearance of the beast and disbelief of the researchers. The attacks continued up into the United States with descriptions of a hairless, wolf-like animal attacking livestock. From this description, researchers reclassified the sightings as attacks by dogs or coyotes with mange. As a result of the mange parasite, they believed the creature would consequently have thicker skin and smell bad. They concluded that the animals were too sick to hunt in the wild and would target farm animals kept in pens or fenced areas as they would be easier to kill. Of course, the conclusions of some do not mean that others are convinced. Sightings and destruction continue today, and many believe this cryptid is not quite of this world. Here are a couple of El Chupacabra encounters to consider. This encounter took place in Maryland. One night in 2000, I and my friend were driving down a road we had traveled many times before. It was mostly dark except for a couple of lights that guided the way. To the side of the street is a fairly wooded area with an open sewer line about a mile away. As we reached the end of the street, my attention was drawn by a pair of glowing eyes. At first, I naturally assumed it was a dog or cat, the eyes of which commonly reflect brightly in headlights. The eyes were staring out of a hollowed out tree then something unexpected happened. As we approached the tree, whatever it was began to hop across the street like a kangaroo, but extremely fast. Unfortunately, my friend didn't see the unusual sight, so I shrugged it off as possibly an injured dog. I might have forgotten about the incident had I not seen the creature again a few nights later. We were headed for that same street, again on our way to a friend's house. Lo and behold, the creature came from the same tree and rapidly darted past the car. Only this time we both saw it. It had back legs like kangaroos and even the forelegs were up like a kangaroo's. This thing was no kangaroo. It had a snout resembling an anteater's and very red eyes gleaming in the light. As it crossed the street, it stared at the car probably in fear, seeing as how it ran the last time it saw the car. It was hairy like a rat, and it stood about three or four feet high as it hopped. I don't know what it was, but I have never seen any animal around here that looked like that 
and neither had my friend. I was curious if anyone has seen something like this before. I live in Oregon and decided to go have some fun. Well, on the way to Triangle Lake with my buddy to go shooting deep into the forest, I saw something absolutely tearing into a deer. Saw it about a hundred feet up or so from our car in a ditch and its face was covered in blood. It looked like a cougar and a hyena mixed. It was the size of a large dog and it had long, real long, sharp teeth. It had cougar eyes and a hyena face, but with an abnormally large mouth and a very built thoracic region. It was very muscular. As we passed by this thing, I looked at my friend and said, what the heck was that thing? And my buddy Connor, who's a big guy, replied, I don't freaking know what that was and we're not stopping to find out. I never knew what I saw or what it was because I never talked about it afterwards. That is until a few years later, I was talking to my dad who travels a lot and I explained what I saw and in disbelief he said, that sounds like a chupacabra, real mean and evil looking thing. He explained that in Carlin, Nevada, he saw a stuffed hyena slash cougar with large teeth in a small little store in that town. He was puzzled when he saw it because we don't have hyena. So he asked the guys what it was and they said it was chupacabra. I want to know if anyone else has seen something like this before. The Dominican Republic has a paranormal siren called La Ciguapa. These terrifyingly beautiful creatures live off the beaten path far into the mountains, living inside the shadows of the deep forest. La Ciguapa are described as savage women, beautiful with long skinny legs and dark skin. They have dark eyes and long silky hair. Their luxurious hair is so long that it covers their naked bodies like a cloak or a long shiny gown. In all of their gorgeous perfection, they have one odd feature. Their feet are backward. This odd feature makes it possible for La Ciguapa to run away from a pursuer and still stare into their eyes. Although La Ciguapa appears beautiful and shy, making small bird-like noises while wandering the forest, they hold a darker purpose. They actually lay in wait to catch wayward travelers to kill and consume them. La Ciguapa come out of their hidden lairs on the eve of the full moon to seduce men by kissing them, stealing their breath, and sucking the life out of their bodies. To hear the song of the La Ciguapa means almost certain death. Therefore, encounter stories are extremely rare. Colombia has the terrifying, vengeance-seeking banshee called El Sibon, or the Whistler. El Sibon roams the country looking for drunks and womanizers to torment. He then tears them apart, bringing justice and retribution to all who have suffered under their wicked ways. The origin story of El Sibon like most legends, varies depending on the region and who is doing the telling. One story tells of a vindictive young man who murdered his father out of rage for not bringing home a requested deer heart with the groceries. His family, horrified by what he had done, whipped him and spread hot pepper onto his wounds. 
They then chased him out of the home with their family dog. From then on, he was cursed to carry a bag of his father's bones and spend his existence torturing the living. Another popular origin story for Elsa Bon is that he was once a hard-working young boy who helped his family. He lived with his parents and his paternal grandfather, who was very strict with him, desiring that he learn to be noble. One day, his father, a violent man, accused his wife of being unfaithful and ended up cruelly killing her. Enraged, the young boy disemboweled his father. When the paternal grandfather learned what had happened, he tied the boy to a pole in the middle of a field and whipped him until his back was shattered. He then washed his wounds with brandy and released him. He then set two hungry and rabid dogs after him. As the boy ran away, the grandfather cursed him to carry his father's bones forever. El Saban is said to have a warped human appearance. He is alarmingly thin and surprisingly tall, well over seven feet. He wears a tattered white suit, a wide-brimmed hat, and shoes that are falling apart. His legend claims that he is still chased by dogs that still bite and attack him. Some say El Saban is an evil man, murdering mercilessly with a machete, while others claim he comes to announce a death in the family. One legend says that when he arrives at a house, he counts his father's bones during the night. If someone happens to hear him counting, that person will die by morning. Another legend says that he hates womanizers and drunks. If El Saban runs into a drunk, he will suck the blood and alcohol from them, leaving them dead. To womanizers, he tears them limb from limb and adds their bones to his sack, filled with his father's bones and the bones of his other victims. Why is El Sabon called the Whistler? That's easy. It's because he whistles as he makes his way slowly across the plains. The tune is said to be in the musical notes C, D, E, F, G, A, and B, in that order. This whistle is supposed to catch the ears of drunks and angry men. First, the tune is said to upset his victims, but then it gets worse. He toys with them, changing his distance back and forth until it drives them crazy. Then he attacks. It is said that by the time you notice the whistling, it is already too late. Very few people have ever escaped El Sabon and lived to tell their tales. The only way to escape is to carry around a whip with hot peppers or keep a dog near you. These are the only things that El Sabon fears and that could possibly keep him at bay. Here is a story of someone who was lucky enough to escape El Sabon. I was in my second house. My second house is pretty far away from the actual town and is surrounded by fields. It is also near the sea, so we go there for our summer holidays. I went there for several days so I could clean it a bit because there were many insects dead on the floor. My aunt is our only neighbor. Anyways, I was sitting on the couch watching my phone when I suddenly heard a whistle behind me. I immediately looked but there was nothing behind me. Then I heard the whistling again. 
I looked in every corner of the house, but nothing. Then I looked out the window and saw it. It was far away in the field. It was at least two feet tall and had a sack on its back with some bones visible. It looked at me and started to run towards me. Thankfully, my aunt's bulldog saw it and started barking at it. When it heard the dog, it started running and really panicked. I really hope you will never hear this creepy whistling. One Mexican urban legend is that of El Cucuy. El Cucuy is the Mexican version of the boogeyman, a creature who kidnaps misbehaving children. Mexican parents often warn their children to behave yourself or El Cucuy will come and take you away. When night falls, El Cucuy comes out. He hides in your closet or under your bed and he can take the shape of any dark, menacing shadow. He watches children sleep and waits patiently to take them to his deep mountainous lair where he will devour them. For hundreds of years, the stories of El Kukui have been told from one generation to the next. El Kukui has been said to have shape-shifting powers, making its true physical appearance nearly impossible to pinpoint. Various physical representations have been used to describe the phenomenon, such as hairy, sharp teeth, red eyes, bat-like ears, massive claws, massive in size, or troll-like, or shapeless. It is not the way El Kukui looks, but what it does that scares most. It is a child eater and a kidnapper. It may immediately devour the child, leaving no trace. Or, it may spirit the child away to a place of no return. But it only does this to disobedient children. It is on the lookout for children's misbehavior from the rooftops. It takes the shape of any dark shadow and stays watching. It represents the opposite of the guardian angel and is frequently compared to the devil. Here is a story from Mexico of how parents can use El Cucuy to keep their children obedient. I grew up in a small town in Mexico. My mother used to tell me ghost stories when I was a child, but none of them scared me as much as El Cucuy. One day I was angry and cursed my mother. She got very quiet and she looked at me with fury burning in her eyes. Slowly and calmly she said, El Kukui is going to scratch your feet tonight. Something about the way she said it really scared me. That night, I went to bed, and it took me nearly two hours to fall asleep. The next morning, when I woke up, I got out of bed and noticed that my feet were sore. I looked down and saw that both of my feet had long, red scratches on them. It truly terrified me because I didn't know if El Kukui was real or if my mother was so crazy that she scratched up my feet while I was asleep to teach me a lesson. Here is another story out of Colombia. Foster parents Sebastian and Maria had just received two more children, two young brothers, to live with them and their other six children they were also caring for when multiple screams awoke them in the middle of the night. The couple ran into one of the children's bedrooms to find the room freezing cold 
and five of the children all huddled together in a corner of the room, crying and trembling in fear. The terrified children pointed to their closet door that was ajar, but nothing was found within. Five of our children, including the two newest, were telling us about the monster demon that climbed out of the closet in their room. They said smoke was coming from it, like it had come out of an oven as it moved about the room, looking at each of them in bed, as if trying to select who to eat, said Maria. Some of our children had very active imaginations and liked to cause mischief. That and the fact we had two new boys, we just thought some of them were trying to scare the others and the others had nightmares. The next evening, additional lights were added to the children's bedroom that would remain on all night to help the children sleep. But late that evening, Sebastian and Maria awoke again to screams, the power being out in the entire house and freezing temperatures. We grabbed a flashlight and raced into their bedroom to find a huge shadowy thing trying to pick up one of the children off the floor, who was kicking and screaming hysterically. Sebastian grabbed a small nightstand and threw it at it, shattering against his back with no effect. As it turned to look at us, it changed from a shadow, revealing its skin looked like it had been burnt or melted. It looked like a giant demon. Maria screamed as it started dragging the child towards the closet door. Sebastian grabbed hold of the child being dragged and yanked him back out of the hands of the creature. It roared at my husband so loud, I thought I could feel the sound. It then swung one of its giant claws at him and slashed his chest. It looked at us and seemed to sneer, like it knew what we were thinking. It quickly turned and clawed on all fours into the closet. They watched as the monstrous creature squeezed into the closet and disappeared from view, causing the closet to shake and then go to silence. At first, the police that responded thought we were crazy and were trying to cover up some type of crime or do a hoax. But what our children witnessed, and our good record as foster parents, made them take us seriously. The following day, police inspectors arrived to speak with the family and told Sebastian and Maria and their children that they wanted them to participate in a special investigation. When they agreed, Sebastian and Maria were told that similar encounters have occurred all across the country, resulting in both missing children and fatalities from encounters with the creature. There was nothing we could do to comfort our children. Most of them were already having difficulty coming from broken homes and abuse. Now they encountered this, this evil. Our lives will never be the same. Demons and monsters aren't supposed to be real. Sure, we hear stories about evil spirits and things to scare us when we're kids or in the movies, but I always thought these things were all make-believe, not real. I know how to protect our family and our children from worldly things, but how can I protect them from this? All right, folks, if you will stick around after the break, we'll be back with some more interesting discussion.
Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things strange and unusual, Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And Marcus D. Now come along with us as we explore the most obscure things our universe has to offer. We specialize in helping people make sense of the most bizarre phenomenon you'll ever come across. You'll get all the great topics such as UFOs, cryptids, and psychic phenomenon, but also some stories that are so spectacular, they scare people to believe that they're true. Now take a seat, and welcome to the One Candle Society. But always remember, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. Jessica, so that is our research into Latin American folklore. You grew up in California, Jess. Did you get exposed to any of these stories there? I actually didn't. Amazing as it sounds, I had never heard of a lot of these stories until doing this research. Do you think that that was because you grew up in Northern California, or do you think it was just because these stories weren't very popular there? You know, I don't know. It could have been that they just weren't very popular where I was. We had a large Hispanic community, and I had friends, uh, but they never talked about this kind of stuff. What about you, Eric, growing up in Arizona? Well, I mean, I definitely had some exposure to La Llorona. That was a very scary story to me when I was a child. I think the first time I was exposed to that was at a campout, and I could honestly say that it affected me. It scared me, and I did not want anything to do with La Llorona, and I did not want to be camping out anywhere where there was water. (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, uh, to some degree, it still maybe even affects me a little bit as an adult. I think out of all South American legends and lore that I heard as a child growing up in Arizona, that one definitely was the big one. And see, that's kind of weird for me. This stuff really isn't scaring me. I don't know why. What would you say is the reason why none of this scares you? Probably because I never grew up with it. It wasn't something that was told to me as a child. As an adult, it isn't as scary. So I guess maybe that's why. Does it seem more like a grim fairy tale to you or not real? It seems like a legend, a very interesting legend that I like to listen to and learn about, but not necessarily something that is real. Although I'm sure that to some people, this is very real. So let's take a look at each of these stories and see what we think about them, okay? Okay. So let's dig back into La Llorona. I think that the origin story that I was most familiar with was origin story number two. It's the one where Maria was married to a wealthy rancher who kind of fell out of love with her and this caused her to become distraught and eventually murder her children by drowning them in the river. If anything, this actually is really sad to me more than it is scary. The scary aspect of the story isn't so much that she murdered her children. The scary aspect of the story to me is that she continues to wander and weep and hunt other children. That's what's most scary to me out of the story. And see, that's funny because that's the part that isn't scary. The part that is scary to me is the fact that she murdered her children because that is something that could happen in real life. And to me, that is more scary than someone, a ghost haunting and trying to kill children. 
Well, that certainly shows the more adult perspective that you have on this and not the child perspective that I had on this as I heard these stories around campfires as a kid. <laughs> Very true. I think if I had heard the story as a child around a campfire, I probably would have been scared. But then again, I was always very easily scared as a child. And that's the difference between you and me. I wasn't. (laughs) So you've always been a hardened, cold psychopath? Exactly. (laughs) You've known this for a long time. I would also say that I think what scared me most about the La Llorona story as a child was that the account that I heard wasn't just a tale. It was actually a first-person account of someone who was claiming to have had an experience with La Llorona on a ranch. And I think the real aspect of that story is what scared me more than just the supernatural aspect of it. If it had been just another scary story around a campfire, I don't think it would have affected me quite as much as this being a real telling of a real experience. Yes, that's definitely more scary than a hypothetical urban legend. What about El Chupacabra? Do you think that this is still a thing, or do you think we've kind of solved this one? You know, I think it is a thing. It is some kind of cryptid. As far as cryptids go, it doesn't scare me that much because I'm not a goat. Well, Jessica, thank you for pointing out to our (laughs) listeners that you're not a goat. (laughs) But still, I think this is one of those cryptids that we can kind of chalk off the list. I think this has been solved. I really think that these are animals that have been infected by mange. There are lots and lots of videos on YouTube of purported El Chupacabra that look exactly like mangy foxes or mangy coyotes or small wolves. I've even seen a picture of a mangy bear before and Let me tell you, it did not look like a normal bear. It looked like a completely different creature. What about the kangaroo one, though? We obviously don't have kangaroos here in the American continent. No, absolutely no kangaroos here outside of zoos, right? Yes. Or personal collections on farms, maybe. But I don't see a kangaroo with mange living out in the wilds of Maine. I don't even know if a kangaroo could survive the winters in Maine. I don't know if that is a habitat that they can even survive in. Now, most of us have probably seen the Tiger King, and we know that there are personal collections of exotic animals that do exist in the United States, and there is a possibility that one of these animals could have gotten loose, potentially a kangaroo, and was spotted and categorized as a El Chupacabra. But I think most likely I'm going to go with the scientific evidence on this one and say that these are simple mangy animals that are scavenging on farms because they're too weak to hunt in the wild. Well, I mean, I guess it is a possibility. I'm just not quite sure if I'm sold on that. But I am not closed-minded, and I'm open to the possibility that this is a real cryptid that we still have not discovered, that particularly likes to suck on goats. (laughs) All right, so how about La Ciguapa? My question is, how do we ever get any stories about them, considering anyone who encounters them ends up dying? Well, that was actually a big problem that I ran into with this research. I could not find 
after scouring the internet for several days, any information on anyone who had an actual La Ciguapa encounter that we could share on the show. And I just had to kind of decide that people either don't survive these accounts, and therefore there are no firsthand accounts, or this is totally a fable. Although it is a wickedly cool fable, and who would come up with the idea that their feet are on backwards? That's totally unique. That is. It's interesting, though. If you look at different fairies and folklore, there's usually one aspect about the creatures that is wrong. And it seems that in the Saguapo, the wrong aspect is that their feet are on backwards. Yeah, it is a very interesting finding for sure. So one thing that I have noticed about these stories is that like grim fairy tales, they all seem to have some sort of a warning or a lesson that is involved with them. Uh, El Saban takes on that role, in my opinion, where he only seems to hunt and or torment people who are drunks or womanizers. It's kind of a way to discourage that behavior. Also, the origin story teaches us something. It teaches us not to be too greedy, to be thankful with what we've got, and not to kill your relatives, basically. What? We can't kill our relatives? (laughs) I think the one thing that is a little unique about this story is that it's more adult-focused. It's teaching adults a lesson. Uh, It's adults who are drunks. It's adults who are womanizers. And it's teaching adults that those things are kind of frowned upon in society and could bring on curses or entities like El Saban. There are situations where you may get away with things, but you're going to have to pay the piper somehow. And that could be El Saban. Now, one thing I've also noticed in these legends is that Mexican moms are not afraid to use them to control their children, uh, to help them make better decisions. Uh, I suspect that uh, Mexican wives uh, probably are equally willing to use things like El Saban to warn their husbands, potentially, <laughs> about uh, certain things they may be doing wrong. <laughs> I, just, I find that interesting, the way that, um, you know, we tell our children, you know, that there's no monster under the bed or in the closet. And uh, these women are saying there is a monster under the bed and in the closet, and it will get you if you don't listen to me. I just find that so funny. Or if you go out drinking or womanizing. Yeah, that someone's going to come get you. Well, that kind of neatly brings us into El Kukui. I think as a child, El Kukui would have frightened me. Um, I think that was the point. You know, I think that El Kukui is the quintessential Mexican or Latin American boogeyman. And uh, because it's the boogeyman, it's meant to frighten. And it's meant to help keep kids in line. And that's why Mexican moms aren't afraid to use the lesson to their advantage. My question is, Jess, why have we not heard of this technique before? And why haven't we used it with our own kids? (laughs) I know, we're terrible parents. (laughs) I think actually that makes us good parents because, you know, scaring (laughs) your kids with demons probably isn't the best thing. (laughs) I don't know if it gets them to obey. Well, I can honestly say that as a child, it did not take a demon to get me to obey. I obeyed. With the wooden spoon. (laughs) (laughs) The wooden spoon was your demon. 
No, the wooden spoon was not my demon. It was my actuality. It existed, and it was used <laughs> often. <laughs> In fact, I'm sure I've had a couple of wooden spoons busted on me over my lifetime. But I absolutely deserved it. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Jessica, talking about uh, Mexican moms here, have you ever heard of the mystical power of the La Chancla? You mean the shoe? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about a real mystical power here, not just a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real mystical power that Latino moms have to be able to beam their child with a sandal from any distance at any time and right square in the head. That is some superpower. I'm going to stick with it being a mystical power and a supernatural power, and potentially a more beneficial power than calling demons down on your kids like <laughs> El Kukui. <laughs> this is another one of those parenting techniques, Jess, that I'm kind of questioning why we didn't know about this. Yeah, it's too late now. Most of our kids are grown. I don't think it has anything to do with age. I think this is a mystical power that Latino moms carry throughout their child's entire life. <laughs> I think our kids have lost the ability to be scared by us. Well, perhaps we need to explore some new ways to uh, scare them. <laughs> Something other than taking away their phone. That's pretty scary to a teenager, that's for sure. <laughs> Heck, that's scary to an adult. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this show. If you have had an experience with any of these Latin American entities or the mystical La Chancla, we would love to hear from you and hear your story. Yes, we would. Please get a hold of us. So I think in conclusion, I would say that I've really enjoyed delving into Latin American culture, folklore, and history. And as we can see, it is full of some really great legends and stories. We hope that you guys will take the time to check some more of them out. All right, folks, that is going to do it for us. We will see you next time. Bye. All right, folks, that's the end of this episode. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you listening. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing through your favorite podcast player. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember that if you've had a paranormal experience that you would like to share, you can email us at prairielandparanormalpodcast at gmail.com or you can submit that experience through our website at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. So, until next time, remember, don't be normal when you can be paranormal. <laughs>